You're listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Cassette. And this is Side A. I'm here with John Wynn, who's a sound artist. Yeah, uh, I'm, a, I'm now a reader in sound arts at uh, London College of Communication um, and, uh, and a sound artist. There's an exhibition you did recently. I'll, I'll give you a minute to plug that if you want. Well, it'll be finished by the time this goes on air. Oh, okay. um, it was a, a solo show at a gallery called Angus Hughes in Dalston. Mm-hmm. And uh, it dealt with some of the phenomenon that I think we'll get into talking about today, where I was using uh, what are called beat frequencies between tones that are very slightly different in frequency from each other. This being side A, I know that you've got a piece that you did a couple of years ago, was it, which uses the note A on cassette. Can you just tell me a bit about what that piece involved? Yeah, that was, uh, that was a commission by Sound and Music for the Cut and Splice Festival. Beating Tones and Flapping Wings was the name of the piece. It was kind of a two-part installation, so it was in two adjacent rooms. In one room, I had flying radios that were uh, flying around the room, and in the other room was a collection of uh, somewhere around 40 boomboxes, one of which was transmitting a sound to the radio's receivers in the other room, and the rest were all playing cassette tapes on which was recorded a a digitally produced 440 hertz tone or the the A that an orchestra will tune to in modern times. I got interested in that for for several reasons. I was interested in the phenomenon of beating and when you put a sound onto cassettes, especially older cassettes, none of them will run at, at exactly the same speed so you're not getting 440 hertz tones as you would if you had 40 digital devices playing the same thing. Tones that are slightly different being played at the same time in in a space, uh, they start to interfere with each other. And sometimes they're reinforcing each other and sometimes they're cancelling each other out. So you get this kind of pulsing sound Mm. in the air. And uh, the, the frequency of that pulsing is determined by how far apart the tones are. And the, so there was the radio receivers. Yeah, the, the radio receivers in the other room were playing uh, what's called a shepherd's tone, which is a sound illusion, like an optical illusion, whereby it sounds like the sound is rising continuously. Something that's quite interesting about this project is that, as you'll hear on side B, there's been a similar project using the note B and a series of cassette tapes, and it's also looking at how tapes distort the sound is that something that you'd heard about other groups being interested in? or There are lots of artists over the years who've worked with beat frequencies. I'm certainly not the, the only or the first. But I wasn't, I wasn't aware of people using cassettes in that way to, to think about the speed. I mean, I, I, I got the idea of working with uh, a 440 hertz tone. I knew I wanted to do something with uh, a collection of secondhand boomboxes. Um, I mean, I don't even know... If I thought about it before I put the tone onto a couple of cassettes and pressed play, uh, it, it, it just immediately then made me realize, oh, this could be really interesting, played, you know, multiplied uh, by 40. And were you just using a sine tone? Yeah, I, using the computer, I, I played a 440 hertz tone, recorded it them all onto the same old Yamaha tape deck that ran slightly fast yeah (laughs) um as soon as it got into the analog realm it was no longer a a sort of pure 440 hertz tone do we have a recording of that that we could have listened to yeah well i thought it might be an idea to play a pure 440 hertz tone first and then maybe a few excerpts from different stages in the installation when the 
complexity of the of the fluttering and the beating changes from one point to the next. Getting a couple of cassettes out today for this interview, I remembered how long it takes to rewind a tape, <laughs> which was always one of the, you know, I've got cassettes and most of them are pretty well labeled, but... Did you sort of use cassette mainly as your medium for recording things? Yeah, for many years, I, I, uh, I had a very good quality Sony cassette uh, recorder. If you put them in a digital format and played them to someone, they wouldn't necessarily know that they were done on cassette. This is something I've noticed that uh, in the first show that I did, I used the tape deck at the radio station to record the show. I took the decision in one of the more recent shows to bring in a little tape player and then play that through the microphone so to demonstrate really to the listener that this is a tape so they can hear that sort of playback noise and the noise of the tape spooling through the, the mechanism and... Because that is the thing that you get when you're listening to your Walkman. You, you're always aware of the fact you've got a mechanical thing in your hand. Yeah, I mean, one of the main giveaways with something that's been produced on cassette is the, is the hiss that you'll hear uh, when it first starts. Before any sound comes, you'll just hear the background hiss of the, of the medium itself. Yeah. Cassette decks often had a Dolby option on them, but I very seldom used that because that really had an effect on the high frequencies of the sound itself. So I... I preferred to deal with the, the background hiss of the medium rather than kind of cut some of that out and also cut out some of the high frequencies of the sound. I was wondering if you could play some of a recording of something that you originally did using tape. I know you, you did a public installation in Luton. Yeah, well, it's, uh, we're going back a long way now. It was uh, um, a group show that I did in Luton called Anon. With Do you remember roughly which year it was? I would guess something like 89. I mean, samplers had started to come in, um, but they were more difficult than editing now is on a, on a computer. So uh, I used to use a lot of cassette loops. Uh, you could buy them for for answering machines and that kind of thing. Um, what does a cassette loop look like? Well, it looks like a normal cassette. It works a bit like... Well, the old 8-track cassettes, actually a tape loop. It was quarter-inch tape, but yeah. it was on a kind of cassette, and it worked as a loop. So it, it ran in a circle. You didn't have a side A and a side B. You'd... Well, the 8-tracks had 8 different tracks that mm. you could... But the, the cassette loops were, were a similar technology, but it all fit into a normal cassette so you could play something constantly, so it's good for an installation. You, yeah, that's what I, I used them quite a lot for yeah. installations in those days. The uh, the show in, in Luton was a big group show with, with various artists, Denise Versio, Ed Baxter, and Stuart Holm. The show was in various places, including a couple of display cabinets outside of the shopping centre, and uh, Ed Baxter and Andy Hopton were doing one uh, cabinet and Stuart Holm was doing another, and I did sound for, for both of those cassette loops that ran constantly. Okay, so when, when people walked into each of those, what, was, what were they seeing and what were they hearing? They didn't walk in. They were glass cabinets that we could walk into, but then mm. you kind of closed the glass door and mm. people were just walking by like a shop front. 
Uh, and uh, well, in the case of uh, Ed and Andy's installation, it was a, a collection of plastic beer glasses, and they'd covered over the windows. And uh, for that, I used an unmanipulated recording I made of, of people participating in kendo in a, a sports hall. For the installation that Stuart Holm did, he had just had two plinths in the space, uh, one of which had a bottle of bleach on it, and the other had a bottle of hot sauce. Uh, had some words on the floor, which I believe were something like back to nature. And, uh, and I used a cassette loop that had on it a, a loop within that loop of uh, classical music that I'd found um, in a skip and edits of a language tape that I also found in the skip. We strongly urge you to buy. You mentioned some tapes that you found in a skip. You've used some other sort of found tapes as well. In Vancouver, uh, in a charity shop, I found a, a cassette that was kind of a public service cassette to encourage people to use condoms to prevent AIDS and I uh, just decided to uh, chop it up. I've, I've heard the whole thing already, it's very funny I don't think we can play all of it on the radio unfortunately because it's, it's before the it's watershed slightly, slightly too graphic in parts for, for before the watershed but maybe we can give people a flavour Yeah <laughs> This is how to use a condom. Throw the condom away. Move away from your partner. Carefully place your thumb in your... <laughs> well, okay, something that someone mentioned in episode three of my show. What if you found a tape where people confessed their crimes? And delightfully, I've, I believe you have found a tape where people are essentially confessing their crimes. Well, they're trying to be very careful not to confess <laughs> anything, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, it was a tape that I found back in the 80s. Uh, I remember I paid 25 cents for this cassette, probably buying it initially because I was buying cassettes all the time to put my work on. Someone had written very carefully on it the date and time of various phone conversations uh, between him and his uh, what sounds like a business partner of some sort. And um, what, what do you suspect their uh, employment was? I can't figure it out. Some kind of bookmaking or betting or something. They're talking about mailing things out and uh, I can't figure it out. They're, they're being very guarded. Yeah, so do we, do we think that they might be gangsters? They sound like gangsters, whether they, whether they were or not. Maybe small-time criminals of some kind or other, but... Um, and the language, again, I think before the watershed, we won't be able to play uh, uh, all of it. Yeah, well, let, let's have a listen to the cleanest part of this one. Hello. Yeah. Listen, but listen close. You know, Harry, you're a very shrewd person, and I admire you for it. I'm not shrewd. Oh, yes, you are. And by the way... I'm shrewd, sure I wouldn't be laying in his mother. I don't want to hear where you land, but I want to tell you what I want from you. Are you listening? Mm -hmm. You get all your mail out, don't you? No, I don't have all the Whatever. 
get most of it out. I need f***ing stamp money. Oh, do you really? That's right. That's right. I called you Friday, Harry. Didn't I? That's right. You called me Friday. I guess you called me Friday. Oh, Could you guess. Well, well, I don't well, know. Whatever. You whatever. Guess. That's right. Well, I'll whatever. tell you what I want. I want 400 a week. I don't want to use no phone with you. You're using my material. And if I don't get the 400 and anything I write, I want 50%. You okay, yep. So it, it gets more and more threatening as it goes on, I think. It, yeah, they threaten each other more and more. It builds up. Their voices get louder. And there were various calls on different days where it would, it would start out quite calm and, and often build up with one of them one or the other hanging up and so I've used that piece in various ways uh, cutting up what they were doing and repeating bits and, and uh, adding noise. More recently I used uh, one of the conversations for an installation where the sound was actually rising up a, a column of reclaimed hi-fi speakers that so the sound was moving up as the tension got greater. There was a point when sampling technology was maybe a bit too expensive didn't do quite what you wanted it to do and you used the pause button on a tape um, deck to create an effect that you wanted for a piece. It was it was around the time when samplers were just starting to be kind of available and uh, but at that point they were still quite time consuming to to program because everything had to be done on a small screen on the front and so in some ways cassettes offered a, a very quick way of manipulating things and and editing and uh, and I quite like the effect of just pausing the the tape, and you'd hear this slight kind of slide of, of, in pitch as the as the tape stopped or started. And so this is a piece that uh, I recorded a friend of mine, uh, Kim Jones, singing um, a folk song. So I used that as material for this piece. <laughs> to cassette on resonancefm.com. I've been speaking with John Wynne, sound artist, about his work using cassette. And this is the end of Side A. Side A was edited by Clay Gold. HTTP colon slash slash soundcloud.com slash clay hyphen gold. Soundcloud.com slash C-L-A-Y hyphen gold. This is the beginning of Side B. I have Dan Bennett on the phone from Arts Collective Bang the Boar. Could you just tell me, first of all, a little about what the collective is? Bang the Boar started a few years ago when Seth Cook and Clive Henry, two guys who've, who've been running it ever since, decided that since there wasn't a great deal going on in Southampton in terms of experimental music, they wanted to start a night where, where this sort of thing could happen. They do an experimental music night in, in Southampton. That still runs today. 
Yeah, it does. Originally, it was running out of the the Hobbit downstairs in the Hobbit, of all places, which which was good. They lost that venue for various reasons, and then they scouted around for a while and um, ended up having having this relationship they have now with the Southampton John Hansford Gallery, which is which has been really great for for the night. But w- once during every um, exhibition, we try to put on a night that's in some way themed to the exhibition, or in one case, kind of there's a bit of an argument with the exhibition. Yeah, that that's the that's the night really. Yeah. And it, but with, I don't think there's another one till August now. Okay, but people can look out for that on the website for August. What's the website? It's uh, bangtheboar.org, and Seth plugs a lot of our stuff through the Bang the Board Twitter account as well. You have a project called 12 Tapes, which I'm interested in because this show's all about cassette tapes. Sure. 12 Tapes came out of Seth, Seth Cook. He found in a charity shop a box of 12, uh, sorry, a, a tape um, holder with space for 12 tapes in it. Mm-hmm. So he started a thread on the forum and he said, are people interested in starting a project around this this object? It started out as wide as that and through, through lots of people kind of getting involved and having their say, this got narrowed down further and further until, until we ended up with the, the project we have. I, I know that you've got quite tight parameters on this project. What's it involve? The idea with 12 tapes is that it's that we are going to fill these 12 tapes, two sides of 30 minutes on each tape, with um, each one a 30-minute recording of a performance in a car park. And the constraint on that performance is that it is restricted to the note B and its harmonics. And how did you choose B as opposed to any other note for, for this project? The project started off with very broad parameters, just that it should be 12 tape for this box. And there was various discussion about how we could fill them. And I think initial suggestions were that it started out with people wanting to just submit pieces of music for it. And I think a lot of us thought that that would be, I don't know, we'd like to do something a bit more interesting than that because there are plenty of opportunities for for compilations uh, around. So we decided we wanted to do something a little bit more unified. And it came up on the idea that these tapes could all be played together. And so... And, and people like that idea. And as we thought that through, we f- focused on the idea of restricting the performances to a single note. There were several things that were attractive about that idea. One was that potentially 12 people all producing things in different places could be brought together by, and, and the piece could be made consistent by us limiting the pitch material in that way. Yeah. So there was that aspect to it. But then what was also attractive about it was the fact that Tapes don't play back perfectly. Tapes, depending on the machine that you record on and the machine that you play back on, they, they have slight pitch instability. The, the pitch goes up and down, and there's, there's, there's other sorts of noise on there as well. The idea was that when you play back 12 tapes together, if the, you get this kind of phasing effect. And so we like the idea of just having this one note, of restricting people to one note. And, and there's various things you could do within those parameters, but having this one pitch that would then be phased and produce these kind of overtones and harmonics. Before before doing this project, I believe you hadn't heard about John Wynn's project. Yeah, no, I was, I was really interested when you sent, sent, sent us that in the email because none of us, I believe, knew the um, John Wynn piece at the time that we it's interesting that there's uh, there's so much in common i guess these ideas are kind of are kind of in the ether yeah i think especially with these there's with the popularity of tapes and when you start to think about um the way they the way they act on sound there's there's certain ideas that i just think follow naturally from that and i guess this is this is one of them so what we've got is a bunch of people in different car parks across the country playing a b note on 
whatever instrument that they desire and recording it onto one side of a 60-minute cassette tape and then sending that back to you. Then what happens? Where does it go once, you, once you've gathered all of these? The idea was that it's, this piece should be open-ended. So once, once you have this, this set of 12 tapes, it's, it's a tool. It's, it's a composition in a sense, but also just a, a starting point for other compositions or performances. So, for example, the first performance, which um, Seth put on recently in Bradford, I believe, was a 12-hour performance in a gallery where Seth and a couple of other musicians set up the set up 12 tape machines around the room and over the course of 12 hours played back various combinations of these tapes while some of the other musicians kind of improvised along with it. That was one way of performing it. I think other, other ways you could, you can basically, you can play these 12 tapes together um, consecutively in whatever way and, and with, what, with extra musicians, no musicians. And we're, we're just interested to see what people do with it. Our initial interest, I think, was in the idea of having all these 12 tapes playing together, producing this sound that is somehow more than each of the individual contributions because, because of the imperfections of the tape machines and the, and the way that it all melts together and, um, and distorts and, and whatever else. Now we're going to listen to a little bit of that recording in Bradford. out of the, through group discussion on the forum i think the, the initial spark for it was i suppose the association between tapes and cards like i think most of us have, have heard tapes more in cards than we have perhaps anywhere else because all through the period when tapes weren't perhaps as popular as they are now cards still had tape players in them so there's that association so i think that's that sparked people thinking about about car parks and when that when that idea came up it really really struck a chord with people for whatever reason. I think car parks are just kind of interesting spaces, aren't they? They're somewhere you don't tend to hang around in for very long, unless you have to. And, and there's, they're a little bit unsettling because, they're, because people don't hang around in them for very long. The, the sounds, are, they have an interesting sonic character they, because they're all concrete and the, the sounds reflect around the space. Yeah, and you, your, the, your recordings are only in enclosed car parks, I believe. Is that right? That was the, um, that was the constraint, that they should be enclosed car parks whether that's multi-storey or underground. The, the note B as well, was there something interesting about uh, that sort of having a nice link to the number 12? Once we'd settled on the idea of limiting ourselves to one note, just the question of what note that should be made me and others think about the 12-tone scale because we had 12 tapes as well and pitch standardisation. Once we had those two things together, the 12th note of the, um, the equally tempered 
um, Western scale is big. But it's still an arbitrary choice, obviously, but um, it just felt nice and consistent. We still have a couple of pieces needed to complete the 24 sides of 12 tapes. Once we've got that, Seth, Seth and I were, were quite interested in a slightly more, more constrained version of the piece. So what we've considered doing next time is restricting even further to just participants. Who anybody who wants to record it will be restricted to only using a sine tone generator of, of some sort um, on the pitch B. And for the lay people out there, what, what's a sine tone generator and what, what, how would that differ from just playing it on a, on a string instrument or, or whatever? In trigonometry, you, you're familiar with the sine, the cosine and the tangent. So they're, they're three mathematical functions. And the sine is sine tone gives a, if you graph it out, gives a, a particular shape. I'm, I'm picturing an x-axis and a y-axis and a wave, uh, and a, wave a wavy yeah. line. That's exactly it. And this, this is something that, that's a pattern that recurs, recurs throughout nature. And one of the places it appears is in sound. And it's the, you can think of it as the atomistic unit of sound. It's the most, um, it gets more complicated when you add noise into the equation. But as, if you think of pitch sounds, a sine tone is the most atomistic unit of sound. It's the most pure expression of a particular frequency. And you can combine musicians and synthesizer builders and all sorts throughout the 20th century have had um, combined num numbers of these sine tones to, to, to try to produce other sounds. And theoretically, um, you, can, you should be able to produce any sound in nature just by um, combinations of sine tones. It's, as I say, it's kind of like an atomistic unit. Okay, so the sine tone of B on its own would sound like a, a sort of electronic elongated beep. And yes. if you took sine tones near to that B and built them up, you might be able to make a sound that sounded more like a trumpet or a cello or a saxophone or, or anything else. Exactly, that, that's more or less it. And so the idea is that if we restrict, it, it will be interesting to repeat the project, but with this very restricted material so that the only, um, aside from the, the car park and, and the effect of the car park on the, on the sound, the, the only pitch variation you would get would be through the, the way that the tapes acted upon the sign tone. And it sounds like it might be a very, um, very austere piece, perhaps. But I think there's a composer in America called Michael Pissarro who um, works with field recordings and and sign tones quite often. They've got a very nice quality to them, and we, we thought it might be interesting to take that idea and, um, and bring in this aspect of the tapes, kind of softening and kind of blurring those, those qualities. What sort of background noises have you had in the, in the car parks? I mean, there were some things in there that I wouldn't have chosen, but that were, that were very, um, very nice. There was a pedestrian crossing, um, because the car park, the car park that I was in, a multi-story car park, comes out on street level. Um, it came out on street level near to where we were recording, and a pedestrian crossing went off periodically throughout the, the recording. But um, on a pitch that it wasn't B, but it harmonised very nicely and kind of created this almost like a almost like a little melody. I mean, it's it's not a melody, but within the context of how far we'd stripped back, it began to feel like a little melody or a rhythm that, that would turn up every so often. Brilliant. And what did you use to make the B tone? I went down with another musician from Bristol called Barnabas Yarney, who's a very good composer in his own right as well. So Barn bought, um, bought a bunch of broken guitars all, all tuned to, to B and harmonics of B and some motors to kind of sound them so that he could play in one while, while another was 
was buzzing away in the background. Um, and I just bought a, um, a melodica. And we, we made one recording like that. At the time, I thought it was terrible. Uh, listening back, it, I, I quite like it. And that one was quite noisy. There were, there were bits where, where Bob started playing just the motor on its own. And, and it, it, it really dis, uh, disappeared quite away from the, um, from the original, from I think what we'd originally have planned. But then we did a second take, and I said, well, let's, let's restrict ourselves to whistling, singing. Barn halfway through disappeared off and ran up, another, ran up a flight of stairs and started singing as loud as he could from another level. And this, this it, it kind of, it, I think the interesting thing that we found about it was that within such tight restrictions, there's an, a huge um, potential for, for, for diverging from, from that basic idea. Is there anything else that you'd like to mention about the project? Uh, well, there are, there's space still for, uh, on this version of the piece for um, a couple of more people to offer um, recordings. Bang the Ball's uh, a collective sort of organised by a small number of us, but um, that membership's changed and ebbed and flowed over the time, and there's always space for anybody who wants to be involved to, to, uh, to get involved at whatever level they're interested in, in getting involved with. Okay, so they should just go, go on to your web, website, which is? Uh, yeah, if they look at bangthebore.org yeah. um, or, or check out the um, hash, I think it's hashtag bangthebore Twitter account. Okay, thanks very much. Okay, well, thank you too. All right, speak soon. Okay, have a good afternoon, bye. Yeah, you too, bye. Cassette radio.wordpress.com.